Hi, friends. Welcome to episode seven of How to Health Radio with me, your host, Maddie Ray Cooper. Before we dive into this really fun conversation that I had with my friend Annie about all things pregnancy, birth, um, just basically answering all of my burning questions about birth and pregnancy, which I have a lot of right now. Um, I'm not pregnant. That was not... (laughs) This is not a pregnancy announcement. Um, I just want to let you guys know ahead of time that I am having a day. You know when you sometimes have just those days with technology where it is just like the world is working against you? I'm having one of those days. And for some reason, it seems like maybe the audio tracks in this episode got just ever slow, slightly shifted. And so there are some points in this episode, and I've tried to fix it. I can't really figure it out. I'm not that good with audio where it sounds a little bit like we're talking over each other or there's like a period where there's kind of an awkward pause. And I just want you guys to know that we are not talking over each other and we are not awkwardly pausing. It's just like a little slight glitch. And honestly, if I didn't say anything, you guys probably wouldn't notice. It's really not a big deal, but I just wanted to tell you because honestly, it's it's my therapy to just air my technological grievances with you all today. So I hope that doesn't bother you. Um, and yeah, it's it, it shouldn't take away from your enjoyment of this really amazing episode. And I'm going to stop rambling before you guys get bored of hearing my voice. So <laughs> without further ado, here is episode seven of How to Health Radio with Annie from Mom Mindfully, all about gaining confidence in pregnancy and birth. Hey, hi, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of How to Health Radio with me, your host, Maddie Ray Cooper. And today I have my awesome friend, Annie, and you are mom mindfully on Instagram. And I have such a hard time whenever I have my Instagram friends on here because I always like think of you in my head as your Instagram handle. (laughs) I do the same thing. It's, you know, which honestly, for better or for worse, it's kind of become part of our identities now. Um, And I love that name because that's very much how I associate with your account is just like really wonderful and logical and mindful, like motherhood information. And it's just, it's, you're such a breath of fresh air in that space. And that is why I just love you so much. Um, but for those of us who are, or, or those who are listening, who aren't familiar with you, can you give us just like a little intro about kind of how you started to share, um, the information that you do, your mindful momminess. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I'm glad you like the username because I feel like it's probably normal after you have one for a certain period of time, you start becoming very insecure about your username. You're like, should I change this? <laughs> and I've been doing that lately, but um, no, I won't. So um, I love it. You did. It's great. So I'm a um, stay at home mom. I have a toddler and a baby who's about to be one. And I had my first just six months before, you know, the whole pandemic thing. So that was kind of the, you had a pandemic baby. Yeah, it was right before. So he was six months old when the whole like world ended basically. But, um, so all that was happening, everybody was acting crazy and just completely like outsourcing their health to these authorities. And, um, so that was kind of the backdrop for when I started my Instagram account and, I was looking to kind of build community, but more just have an outlet for myself because I didn't feel like in person I had other moms who were like in the same stage of life who had 
the same um, values and mindset surrounding things like health and birth and nutrition and um, just like sovereignty and motherhood and really taking accountability for all your choices. Um, And I was just researching and just wanted to share it and have somewhere else to run my mouth besides my husband just listening to me all the time about this <laughs> these sort of topics. So um, that's what I did. And I always liked writing. I got um, an English degree that I don't use. So I just, you know, put my words <laughs> on Instagram. And so I just wanted a place to talk about these subjects. So that's what I started doing, it was to have an outlet. And thankfully, some other moms really resonated with it. So I kept doing it. <laughs> I love that. And on, I've told you this before, but I'll say it again. You're, I don't follow very many like parenting or birth accounts um, because a lot of them are kind of stressful and a lot of them give me mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, um, we were just talking about this before we started recording, but um, there's a lot of dogma in like the birthing and pregnancy space um, and the parenting space, just like there is in the nutrition, you know, all these health spaces, we all have our little bubbles mm-hmm. that we're all in. Um, but I just love, you know, your like just the way that you present your information is so relaxing and like reassuring. And you're just kind of like, here's some information. Here's some research that I found. And this is what I did. And this is what worked for me. But like you do you and it's all fine. And I just feel, um, you know, you present this picture of motherhood that, you know, you are very honest about all of the challenges that you face, but also you approach it with such a, a attitude of gratitude and I like that so much because I think there's so many accounts where it's just like, you know, either it's kind of scary and you're talking, you know, about all these scary things and it's a little fear mongery, or you have these accounts where it's like everything about birth and having a child is perfect and magical. And it's like, okay, yeah, but like, it's also hard and like there are some challenges. And so with those accounts, I like what they're trying to do, but it sometimes feels a little unrealistic. And I think especially like for me as somebody who is getting ready to have a child in the future, I want a real picture and I don't want to be scared. And I also don't want to be like deluded into thinking that it's going to be, oh, there's this total walk in the park. No big deal. It's all fine. Um, You know, and then you find out later that those influencers actually have like a full-time nanny. And (laughs) oh yeah, (laughs) that's yeah. Well, they're wearing a full face of makeup every day and they're, you know, have their $3,000 stroller and it's all. Yeah, I'm certainly not a full face of makeup every day. I promise you that. (laughs) But (laughs) thank you. Yeah, it is hard to strike a balance between like there's this very negative culture surrounding motherhood on social media that I think we've all seen of like the, oh, my kids make me drink and they're jerks and there's like that side of things and like, Oh, my birth was the most painful, awful experience of my life. So, you know, you better be grateful that you exist. You little, yeah. So there's like that side of motherhood and then gather is like the toxic positivity as well. And so, yeah, sometimes when I'm talking about the hard parts, I'm like, man, am I contributing to that culture that like makes motherhood look absolutely horrible? Like make people wonder why anybody has kids. Um, but yeah, what you said about the, um, birth, you know, on social media with nutrition and how that information is presented. When I started out, I was like sharing a ton of research. Like that was my main thing is like, here's all these studies. And like, I would post the links and like, just talk about the highlights of all that. And I do almost none of that anymore. 
because I feel like similar to nutrition information that's shared on social media, not to say there's no value to research because there absolutely is. I think it's a great leaping off point for further conversation just about our physiology. But as far as the studies on birth and the studies on nutrition, I give them about the same attention anymore, which isn't a whole lot because there's just so many factors that go into a study and what you're looking at. And yeah, I don't think all these factors can ever be controlled for. So I talk about very little of like digging into the research now and just try to share like my perspective and what makes sense to me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you really can find a study to corroborate any opinion, any point, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so many studies out there and you know, it's with statistics and everything like you really, and as we've seen happen many times, it's not very hard to manipulate data to get the result that you're looking for in this study. And, you know, another thing too, is that do people even read the whole study or do they just read the abstract? (laughs) You know, like, Because I, you know, a lot of these studies you can't even read without paying $80 or whatever. And so I do, I like studies. I like that they're there. I like that they exist. I think it's important to know how to read research. Um, But like you were saying, you know, it's, it kind of gets to a point where you, I think, have to tap in to your own experience, your own, um, you know, that inner wisdom and kind of find out what is actually going to resonate with you um, and what makes sense to you and your family and your situation. You know, we're all in different situations and, you know, so that's one of the things that I see people argue about all the time is like, well, what's the best birth? You know, is it a home birth? Is it a free birth? Is it a birth in a hospital? Is it at a birthing? You know, there's all these options. Um, and, you know, people will argue like wild hyenas mm-hmm. about what better. <laughs> and, you know, like based on, you know, like my research, quote unquote, um, it seems to be that the best place to give birth is going to be the place where you're going to feel the most safe, the most supported, the most secure. And that might look different for each person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's your experience with that? How did you choose how you wanted to to birth your babies so since i was little i had a debilitating needle phobia it was terrible and if you look at normal birth in america there's a lot of needles involved there's all these blood tests and there's an epidural (laughs) and there's this iv and all these different things and all i knew when i first got pregnant is there's no way they're getting that needle in my back So I started (laughs) researching natural birth solely because I was terrified of the epidural. Like I wasn't scared of birth. I wasn't scared of a human coming out of me. I was terrified of the idea of feeling like I needed an epidural, but being scared to get one. So I started down this rabbit hole of researching like hypnobirthing, how to cope with natural labor. And just the farther and farther and farther you go, I ended up at home birth and it truly was not on my radar. Um, I was seeing, you know, an OB, that's what you do. You find out you're pregnant, you call the OB who prescribed you birth control back in college, and that's who you see throughout your pregnancy. Um, (laughs) But it was not going well there. Um, I annoyed her. I asked too many questions. (laughs) It was so obvious that I got on her nerves. Um, And I just 
didn't want the things she had to offer, but I felt like I was supposed to be there because this is what you do. And it got to a point where I was like so stressed out surrounding my appointments. And I've talked to so many moms who have the same experience. I was, I didn't want to go. I would cry after my appointments. Like it, I just felt like all this pressure and judgment and yeah, it was not, it was yeah. not a good, um, patient provider oh. relationship. So I got to be in my third trimester and like my husband, I had all these conversations with him surrounding like wanting an unmedicated birth and, oh, some people have their babies at home still. And so by the time I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to go to the hospital when I go in labor, he was fully like on board. He'd seen, he'd gone to the appointments with me. He knew it was not going well. And that's not to say that I chose home birth because I didn't like my OB. That's not true at all. But I kept learning more and more about birth and what would best support my physiology whenever I, um, you know, went into labor and this cascade of hormones that happens to bring your baby out. And I just came to the conclusion that I would be best supported by my comfortable home environment. Um, and I also just, I don't like hospitals. I didn't want to go. So I got to be about 32 <laughs> weeks pregnant and I switched to a home birth midwife. So anybody out there who's like, Oh, I'm 20 weeks. It's too late for me to switch providers. No, it's not. <laughs> There's women who have switched even later in pregnancy than me. It's not too late. Um, I don't recommend doing what I did and just being like, Oh, no matter how this midwife is, this is who I'm going with just cause it's not the OB that I don't like. Thankfully, the midwife that I first spoke to was awesome. I ended up hiring her again for my second pregnancy. But um, yeah, take each provider on a case-by-case -case basis, interview them all the same way. Um, but yeah, I switched when I was in my third trimester. And after that, I just felt like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders because I didn't have to ask anyone's permission anymore. I didn't have to, you know, consent, quote unquote, to things I didn't actually want. Um, I didn't have to argue with anybody and it just felt like it made so much sense after that point. And, um, yeah, so that's how my first home birth came about. And it was an absolutely amazing experience, but it was so good that I did it again. That's awesome. And I, you know, I'm, t I'm I have a total phobia of like most doctors and hospitals mm -hmm. just based on having so many bad experiences, especially with OBGYNs. Um, I've had honestly, like, I don't think I can actually, there's one OBGYN that I have ever seen in my life that I did like. Um, but shortly after I started seeing her, she transitioned to a different type of practice and stopped taking insurance. So I couldn't see her anymore. Um, she was great and she was very holistic and like natural and just like a really wonderful person. So she was a great experience, but every other OB I've ever been to, I've been to a lot. <laughs> I have always gone back into my car and cried after the appointment because I just felt so it just you know, not heard, not seen, not understood, you know, just butting heads, mm -hmm. um, the judgment or the frustration whenever you ask any questions, you're like, well, I don't really want to go back on birth control for this problem because I've been on it and it didn't work for me. Well, that's your only option. You know, it's, mm -hmm. they get all flustered and frustrated. And, um, so yeah, you know, that's been one thing that I've thought of so much as I'm starting to think about, getting pregnant, you know, and I'm like, okay, do I go, you know, should I make a list of like OBs and like, just, I'm like, look, this is not an appointment. This is an interview. I just need to ask you a few <laughs> questions and depending on your answer will be whether or not I come and see you as my doctor. Um, I don't know why that's not a thing. 
you know, like whenever I feel like the, the relationship needs to be so flipped because mm-hmm. you do feel like you are at a disadvantage. I feel a lot of the times going into a doctor because you're feeling like, well, this person is kind of this gateway between like me and something that I need. And this person is like either going to give it to me or not give it to me. And that's it, just such a weird um place to be in and it makes you feel super vulnerable and so i feel like we should be able to go in and like just have like a job interview with our doctors like you would hire a contractor to build your house or like a mechanic or like you know anything you know it's like why can't we interview yeah absolutely Um, but you know i love hearing too that you had that feeling and you just had that that feeling in your gut that like this wasn't right. It was stressing you out. You knew that that was not going to be the right answer for you. And you felt safe at home. You found this idea of home birth and it was just like, yes, this is the answer. And then, you know, you didn't get stuck thinking, well, it's too late now. I've got to do it this way. Um, So I love that. And, you know, were you feeling anxious or were you just like, no, this is the right choice. And you felt really good about it. I was having doubts before I officially switched to having a home birth, like, oh, I'll just do this my second pregnancy, just get through this first one, just do it the normal way, do what you're supposed to do, be a good girl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the more I kept thinking about it, I was worried that something was going to happen in my hospital birth that would make me too insecure later on to change to home birth the second time. which is totally possible just based on like the experience birth trauma or what someone would say to me like, Oh, your body did this and that made your birth not work. And that would make me afraid to ever do it again in the future. So yeah. I was like, no, I need to do this the first time. And um, after I did officially switch, I was just ecstatic. <laughs> I was not afraid of birth really ever. Um, it was just the hospital environment and it would always, you know, when I would go to my OB appointments, my blood pressure would be through the roof. Like I did, I did have yeah. high blood pressure during my first pregnancy just because <laughs> of how I was not treating my body great, but also like serious white coat syndrome. It terrified me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I felt much safer and much more comfortable and much more excited. I could just focus on preparing to beat my baby after that point. And I did go quite a bit over my quote unquote due date, which I don't really believe in anymore, but, um, that's a different topic, but (laughs) yeah, that was really the only thing that stressed me out because I did still have a big mindset shift between my first pregnancy and my second of like someone else could still make me do something of, um, if I go too far over, or if I don't meet this criteria, or if I'm too far out of someone else's idea of what's normal, then they can make me get induced. They can make me do this. And um, somewhere before having my second baby, I really changed my mindset and truly saw um, any doctor midwife as what you said, like a consultant, Um, which is really what they are and how they should be seen because the mother is the authority in those situations. Right. Right. It's your baby and it's your body. Exactly. And, you know, in this, I'm, I'm so like enamored by the fact that you felt so confident. And I feel like that's, that's like, 
I guess my question is how, what are some things like resources that you found that really helped you to feel um, that level of just confidence and like assuredness? Or was it just like an innate feeling? How did you come? And I'm asking this as somebody who's like kind of scared to give birth. (laughs) That's completely understandable. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little bit of fear because it is, you know, an unfamiliar experience. And I think addressing those fears one by one is really important, writing them down, getting really specific, finding out where it comes from. Like, is this a fear that I learned from like Hollywood movies that make birth look like the worst thing ever? Um, Like, where did this fear come from? And it's not to say that I wasn't afraid, but it was kind of just knowing that the only way out is through, like, there's nothing I can do at this point, baby's going to come. And the more I learned about the female physiology and what makes labor start and work and continue what brings your baby into the world. Um, Just learning that our bodies are best supported by staying in that mammalian inner brain and keeping, you know, the lights dim it quiet, not having people all up in your space, just feeling supported, feeling calm. I knew that that is what's most likely to give me a, you know, pleasant birth experience. Because even if birth is painful, that does not mean it's a bad birth. And that's another place that I think social media can um, set women up for not just like the wrong expectation of motherhood, but the wrong expectation of birth is that two mm-hmm. women can't have the same birth experience. But if they could, one may interpret it as painful and the other one may not. But that doesn't mean that the one who didn't had a better birth experience, it doesn't mean that at all. And we are very afraid of pain in our culture or really any discomfort at all. We want to numb it, shut it down. You know, we don't want to feel anything that's too intense in one direction or the other. And um, that's very true when it comes to birth. But even a woman who thinks, yes, my birth was very painful, very challenging, very uncomfortable, um, can still have look back on it and see it as a very good birth experience. If she was properly supported and loved and respected um, within that birth environment, it's, it's a different sensation than just pain. Like some people say pain with a purpose, but this intensity is not (laughs) like anything else you're going to experience in any other context. It's just different. I don't like, I, I don't really expect, my births is painful, but I guess it is. It's just not the same as any other type of pain because your body is doing good things. Your body is doing what it's supposed to do. It's just a very, very intense experience, but there's nothing wrong. Birth is working. Right. Um, yeah, it's right. just, it's, <laughs> it's challenging. It's heavy. It's intense, but, um, yeah, you can have a birth experience that you would describe as painful. That is still good as weird as that might sound. And do you think, you know, one thing that I think about too, I do think that everything in our body happens for a reason. I think that everything has a purpose and I'm kind of wondering, you know, maybe we need to have that experience of like extreme intensity, intensity or pain or, um, you know, like a, a lot of, I've hear, heard a lot of women experience, like it's like an out of body experience and they feel like they go somewhere else to like mm-hmm. get the soul of their baby and like bring it to earth. And it's like this amazing, um, you know, out of body experience. And, 
you know, I feel in a lot of ways and in most modern birth, like that is taken away and maybe you're, you know, on an epidural and ketamine and you're just like zonked out high on drugs and they're just like, oh, cool. Okay. Here's a baby. And you don't feel any of that. I feel, and I'm interested in your opinion on this. I feel like that's maybe taking something away from the mother. And maybe that is a part of like that transition into motherhood that is necessary. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. So especially with, um, inductions where synthetic hormones like Pitocin are used, you are throwing off that hormonal cascade and it can be debated as to how much does it really matter. Um, but we do know that Pitocin makes a mother more likely to experience postpartum mood disorders. That's, that's true. Wow. Um, which it makes sense because it's synthetic oxytocin, which is, you know, the love hormone and it does everything that it's supposed to right. do birth wise, keeping labor moving, but it doesn't have those same love effects in the brain. So um, right. all wow. of these sensations, whether it's, you know, pain, intensity, whatever you want to call it, are there for a purpose. And I think going through that is part of what can give you that really intense post-birth high that you've probably heard mothers talk about is once you finally meet your baby. I mean, it's just truly like a high and it can last days. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely something to what you're saying all not just of the interventions, but just the interactions that mom is experiencing. If she's really stressed out, um, there's too many people in the room. She's feeling watched, things like that. They're going to have hormonal effects because labor isn't able. You're not just able to stay in that birth brain where, like you said, moms just like go to another planet. Um, yeah. If you can stay there, that's ideal just in your birth brain. And yeah. So everything, every intervention is going to influence, you know, that cascade of hormones during your labor. And I wonder too, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, well, I'm my brain, I'm like getting so many ideas now, but you know, I've been interested in, I've been reading a lot about dopamine lately. And, um, it's, one of the things that's interesting, it's not like a happy hormone, it's a hormone of motivation. And you don't get dopamine from just experiencing something that makes you happy. You get it through experiencing something that is hard or causes discomfort or like something that you have to overcome. And then you get the reward from that. And that creates this crazy release of dopamine. Um, and it is motivating because you want to feel that way again. So it's kind of our body's natural feedback mechanism to make us get through hard times or get through something that's painful or just discomforting. Um, and so I imagine that that is the perfect example of that is going through birth where you're going through something that's painful or hard or uncomfortable. You know, you're like climbing this mountain and you get to the peak of the mountain and you have this amazing reward that then is going to be creating all of these neural pathways in your brain that is going to motivate you to I mean, I, I would like parent, <laughs> like want to take care of your child. And so I'm wondering too, if maybe not having, you know, you're also, you know, having the oxytocin and all of these other hormones, but maybe even specifically, you know, maybe I've discovered like the answer here to like <laughs> postpartum depression and like people being wine mommies is like, maybe they didn't get that, you know, that uh, release of dopamine. 
during their birth. And so therefore they have a harder time maybe connecting with their child or maybe feeling those maternal instincts or having that motivation to like care for their child or like go through these hard things. Um, I don't know. That might be, I just made that up. I have no evidence for that at all whatsoever. There's there's definitely something (laughs) to what you're saying and how much of it is like physically what's happening with your hormones in your body and how much of it is just, um, you know, the influence mentally, how you've been, um, set up for motherhood, whether you're supported or not. Um, and how you, how equipped you feel entering that. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was trying to say with that, but yes, no, I do. I do think you're right. And just how, these events during birth can contribute to the postpartum mood disorders and how they can contribute to issues breastfeeding and how um, the impact of breastfeeding on your hormones can impact your influence throughout, throughout the first year of your baby's life. I mean, it's just all connected. And obviously, doing this is not an option for every mom. And not every mom's going to feel great about having a baby in their bedroom. And that's totally fine. I do believe if more women were presented with all these options being equally accessible, that more would choose that partially for these reasons. Um, but just the way that it's talked about, like, like I said, during most of my first pregnancy, I didn't even know this was an option. It's just, right. There's only like one and a half percent of women giving birth at home in the U S. Um, and so like, when I know in a lot of countries, it's not legal, which kind of blows my mind. Like, what if you have your baby? Yeah, by so that's not really, house? that's not really illegal <laughs> anywhere. It's the regulation of midwifery and whether midwives are allowed to be licensed. Okay. Yeah. So that's a whole other aspect wow. of like, you have to, um, clarify your language like what do you mean by midwife because now midwife has been used as a title that means you have a certain certification or a certain license whereas midwife used to just be you know a granny midwife this is a woman who attends births witnesses the mother Um, then there's hospital midwives there's different types of midwives so yeah there's um a lot of regulation now so really what is now referred to as free birth is not illegal anywhere. There's just, um, even in the U S there's a couple of States that make, you can't license a certain type of midwife and there are midwives that are underground, but you can't really find them because they're not supposed to be calling themselves midwives. So yeah, we've, we've made birth very complicated and accessing all these options, very complicated. (laughs) Um, yeah. And even, sorry, go ahead. Nope. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, you know, with that in mind, like from your experience, how do you go about finding a midwife? Like what are things that are important to you? Because, you know, there are, there are all these different types of like birth assistants. And I honestly don't even really know what the difference between a midwife <laughs> and a doula is other than like midwives have different licenses than doulas. Um, But, you know, like in finding a person that is going to help you with your birth, um, what are you, what do you prioritize? And like, what questions do you ask? So as far as the whole midwife and doula thing now under, you know, the common definition, a midwife is licensed, regulated, um, and they are your medical 
provider there to help you if something goes sideways there to you know do any testing that you want during your birth this i'm saying this is our culture's definition of midwife i fully believe there are unregulated right. <laughs> midwives that deserve the title um then a doula is someone who is more there for um emotional support to help you through labor help you get more comfortable give you coping techniques and um for some of them help advocate for your wishes on your birth plan so that's a doula um so when I was first looking for a midwife, I just wanted someone who would not push things on me, who saw me as the authority, who would um, not give me any trouble about making my own choices. Um, so my standards, honestly, were probably not that high just because I was so desperate to get out of the hospital system with my first. But um, she's actually two hours away, the midwife that I used for both of my pregnancies and birth. So I drove two hours there, two hours back for every appointment. And so obviously I liked her if I did that all over again. But if you're looking for right. a midwife, I think it's really important to first fully understand if they are licensed, what that means, because depending on the state, they are going to be required to um, drop you as a client. If you go over a certain number of weeks, they will no longer be allowed to attend your birth per their license. Um, yeah, it, wow. it sucks. It, it, put, it puts women in wow. such an awful position. And it, yeah, it's just completely unfair. And due dates are not an exact science. They act like it is. And right. yeah, I could go on about the due date thing forever. But yeah, there's certain states where after you go over 41 weeks, you have to have this test to make sure everything's still good. Then there's other states if you're over like 42 weeks, then like you're done. You're completely risked out of home birth as far as having that midwife as an attendant. So find out wow. um, what that would look like in your state if you're seeing a licensed midwife and um, find out what testing you want first. Go in knowing like this is what I'm comfortable with accepting and declining throughout my pregnancy. This is the information I want to know. And what's important first is determining what you're going to do with that information. Um, so for me, if I know that a certain test is not going to provide me with information that would change my plan or change my course of action, I don't want it. That just, it's not of any use to me yeah. and it might stress me out just for me to not do anything with it. So um, decide what you're comfortable with first before you go talk to a midwife um, because a lot of them, and this goes for OBs, midwives, whatever type of provider, They'll say, well, if you decline this, I have to treat you as though you're positive. So that would go for group B strep testing or um, gestational diabetes testing, things like that. So, and that's not really informed consent because like, oh, I have to treat right. you as though you're positive. Okay. And while you can still decline whatever that means, whatever they're going to do differently, that's really unfair. That's a false diagnosis. Yeah. That's overdiagnosis. And that's... Yeah, that's not that's coercive to just try to get a mom to do a test. So um, find out how they approach the different um, situations like that. Um, ask them what their transfer rate is for sure. You want to know how often um, moms end up transferring to the hospital, which fun fact, a lot of um, licensed midwives now, their transfer rate is, you know, give or take 5%. Some are as low as like 1% or 2%. Some are higher. 5% is what the United States' cesarean rate was in 1970. 
And that is with women birthing mostly in the hospital. Um, Now it is like 31, 32%. So one in three approximately. So now even most licensed midwives have the C-section rate that we had 50 years ago. Just overall. Yeah. Wow. It is. Yeah. That's crazy. So um, you definitely want to know that. And um, just find out how they approach labor. And you can just kind of, without asking, get a taste for their personality. Are they a very, like, up in your face, big personality? Are they um, more reserved, let you take the lead, gladly step back if you need just to be left alone? Um, And just follow your intuition as far as that goes. Are you comfortable with this person? Because they are going to see you at the most vulnerable state that you'll ever be in. And um, every person you have in that room when you're giving birth matters. Every extra person you add matters. So make sure you truly want them there for what they have to offer you, not just because you feel like they're supposed to be somebody else there. So that would be my advice. That's great advice. That's like so many things that I didn't know and more reasons for me to not like the Mm -hmm. Western medical system. (laughs) (laughs) That is so, it blows my mind because I know that like due dates is not an exact science and that is not something that is Mm -hmm. set in stone. (laughs) Um, And so the fact that they are so set in stone with your uh your due date yeah whatever they write down as far as your due date really matters because you could be easily Mm -hmm. be a couple of weeks off and and be still within a totally fine window of of being totally okay and then they're gonna Mm -hmm. make you. yeah and this is just based on like lawmakers who decide how it's going to work for midwives within their state it's absolutely crazy and some some of them require Dude, certain tests why? like you cannot opt out if you still want to remain in a midwife's care. My state's not like that, but um, yeah, it just depends where you're at. And um, if you're using a licensed midwife, it's just something to be aware of ahead of time. And if they have to drop you as a client, then your choice is to have a free birth, have an unregulated midwife or go to the hospital. And usually they'll say, no, you need to go be induced in the hospital and won't say like, hey, like you could just wait it out, then go to the hospital. Of course, that's always an option. Right. But yeah, they can just ditch you when you're full term. Are they like, is the concern there them worrying about your baby getting too big? Like, what is the um, the concern? So again, there's some research that says stillbirth rates go up after um, 39 weeks or 41 weeks, 42 weeks, and that it will go up. And while you might be able to make an argument that it does go up a little bit statistically, it's kind of murky when you look into birth research. It's like, okay, does birth become more dangerous as you get later? Or does induction become more dangerous? Because a lot of these studies, they're not differentiating between the spontaneous onset of labor and induction. And when I say induction, I don't just mean Pitocin or Cytotec. I mean, is mom, you know, doing all these things and getting a membrane sweep every two days. And, you know, not shaming anybody. I did this with my first baby. I thought like, oh my gosh, I have to get this baby out now. I was doing like everything I possibly could aside from going to the hospital to try to get my baby out, stressing myself out like crazy. But 
we're not controlling for these things. We're not controlling for how the mother is mentally with all the stress of going past your due date. It's incredibly stressful in this culture that puts so much emphasis on it. Um, so yeah, that's the concern that I'm sure they're basing those regulations on. Um, yeah. And of course there is a ton of like big baby fear mongering that is not, as they like to say, evidence-based <laughs> at all. Um, my first was humongous by modern standards. He was 11 and a half pounds. And, um, and like, thank God I did not have the growth scan that my old OB wanted me to, because first of all, they're, they're off all the time. They are notoriously inaccurate. They're terrible at measuring your baby size. And so if mine was off, they could have said, there's a 14 pound baby in there. Like they, they really could have thought that. And I mean, and, and girl, I would have like, baby in there. I, I really did. But, um, <laughs> I didn't care about his size. That wasn't a concern for me. I was like, my body grew this baby. I'm gonna give birth to it. And it is what it is. But yeah, the big baby thing is a whole other topic that they really like to freak people about. That's one of my favorite things that you talk about because my boyfriend and all of his siblings. Yes, we talked were, about this. I, I forgot about that. Pounds. Yes. And then his, my brother or my boyfriend's brother, all of his, he has three kids and the smallest one was I think a month premature oh, and she was goodness. like almost nine pounds and just looked fully baked. Like all of the doctors, I was just talking to his wife and uh, like all the doctors were like double checking the chart. There's like, a whole toddler a in there. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> right. Just fully baked. Just well done. The most well done baby. Um, and then her other two were oh my I gosh. Think, over 12 pounds. Um, and they all had to be C-section. Matt and all of his siblings were all C-section. His brothers, all of his kids had to be Because of them suspecting that and, they were big? Uh, you know, so of course. Okay. okay. Well, I, I'm not totally sure. I know like with Matt, when he was born, like his mother tried to do it vaginally and he got, got stuck. Like his shoulders were too wide or like there was some, you know, so I, of course I am always hearing these stories of like, oh, well he was mm -hmm. too big and he got stuck. And I'm like, oh gosh, what if I have a home birth and the baby's 12 pounds and it gets stuck. And <laughs> so I get so nervous about that. But, you know, you and I have talked about this many times before. It makes me feel so much better to know somebody <laughs> who's had a giant baby yeah. and had it be totally fine. And it's like, they just, yeah, they and just want to squish him in there. Also, like, that's not really the problem. His head was also <laughs> huge. <laughs> like, statistically, his head was very big. And that's really the impressive part. Because the fat just, it squishes when they come out. But, um. It squishes. Well, did you, have you ever, I'm sure you have. Like, some babies, when they're mm -hmm. born, they have, like, almost a cone head. Because their head is, their head yeah, is it's soft. And it's malleable. And it's meant and to it squish. Moves, and it. It, yeah, it's made to it's fit terrifying. through the birth canal. And, I, and surprisingly, my son didn't have that. He had a very like normal round shaped head, you would think. And I had like a very long pushing stage. So you think he would have had the cone head, but he didn't. Um, but yeah, the big baby thing, like whenever I talk about it, I have so many people who are like, oh, my great grandma was a 12 pound baby or my my grandma had, a, you know, 13 pound baby. And it's always like way back then, I think this was a lot more common before they were 
constantly checking and measuring and trying to freak moms out about the size of their baby or, you know, the size of their pelvis, the small pelvis thing. Um, right. I think it used to be a lot more common to have these large babies, but now you hear 11 and a half pounds and they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way. Right. Well, and I wonder too, if maybe they weren't as, as sticklers as much with the due date in the olden days. And so maybe they just would let the babies go an extra oh, yeah. week and or they, two. So they that's how you were getting measured it like they do now. Cause babies. I knew with my first, I didn't have a clue when I got pregnant and it was based on ultrasound, which if you look into it, say they can be off by like five days. I suspect it was definitely off by more than that because According to that day, I gave birth at 42 weeks and six days. So almost 43 weeks. And I don't think I was. I really don't. I mean, that's totally possible. Some women, they just gestate for a long period of time. But um, yeah, I think mine was very much very off. <laughs> well, you know, like I grew up on a farm and, you know, we had like baby sheep all the time. And I don't remember ever... Like, I'm trying to, th I always try to think back, like, what, what do you do with animals? Like, I don't think you ever try to induce an animal. I think you're just kind of like, yeah, they're, they've just been pregnant forever. They're humongous. They're going to give birth when they give birth. And, you know, like, we're not different than, you know, it's, it's all, you know, your, your physiology working. Yeah, and when people talk the about way that like, it's designed. animals, cows or whatever, they're like, oh, they're going to give birth in the spring. But with us, it's like, no, what, what day, what month, what day? Yeah. Um, what day? Right. <laughs> and also with animals, like what you always hear the homesteader say is when they're giving birth, you leave them alone. They go find a secluded, dark, right. quiet, safe place. And you don't go in there, you know, hey, let me put this IV in you or, hey, let me check your cervix, mama cow. Like that's not going to happen. You just, you leave them alone. Right and intervene only if needed. Right. I think we had, I mean, at one point my mom had a flock of over 50 sheep, which was a little excessive. We also had horses, but we never bred any horses. Um, but I think there was maybe one or two. I mean, we had, I don't know, several dozen sheep born. Um, and there was maybe one or two that we ever had to help but now that I even look back on it, I feel like those were like some of our first where like mm -hmm. we felt like we should be helping, but like it maybe wasn't even totally necessary. Um, and, you know, yeah, you just leave them alone. And you come down to the barn the next day and you're like, oh, baby sheep, like this is great. Um, and so, yeah, it's and that's one of those things, too, that I always I kind of have always had this instinct of like, I kind of just want to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much that type of person anyway with anything health related. I don't like to be told what to do. I have to experiment for myself, make my own mistakes, um, which I do make plenty of mistakes. Um, but then I learn and it's, you know, that's just kind of how I have to learn things. And so I've always been kind of drawn to the idea of like, well, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just going to like in my apartment here. Well, I, I don't, you know, I wonder if people are going to like call the police if they hear me like. No, in, in the Facebook birth groups, mom, moms um, ask that all the time. <laughs> They're like, are my neighbors going to freak out if I have a birth in an what apartment? I've seen that question dozens and dozens of times. <laughs> like, no, it's fine. Nothing's happening. My boyfriend's not murdering me. Yeah. Like, it's, I'm just giving birth. It's fine. Um, but, you know, it, then you also hear, 
all the horror stories, you know, and if you ever say, oh, yeah, I just kind of want to do it on my own. It's like, oh, no, you shouldn't. Uh. And so it's very hard, I think, to just kind of come to the idea of birth without so many other ideas and voices of what is right and what you should do. Um, and it's and honestly, it's one of the reasons why I like talking to you and listening because you're just a very much like this is what made sense to me. This is like I researched and then this is what my instincts said made sense. And yeah, it, every time it worked I out. have betrayed my intuition, I've regretted it. And I and I have done that. I mean, yeah, I didn't think when I first got pregnant that I would ever be the type of person to give birth at home or during my, you know, second birth, giving birth without a midwife present because it happened too fast. Um, but wow. yeah, our intuition when you can really tune into it and really trust yourself, it will probably not lead you astray. And I don't discredit anyone's birth story when they say this happened to me. Thank God I was in the location I was in. Um, but an important question to ask, like when you're reflecting on your own birth story, if you're in a place where you feel like you can, look at it from a distance um, is the question is not, was this necessary, but was it inevitable? And that's why from the moment you get pregnant, mm -hmm. you want to be intentional about the decisions you're making about the people that you're involving in your pregnancy and birth. You really want to be mindful about all of that because I mean, I was just probably on the fast track to a C-section had I been with my old OB. I mean, just yeah. thinking of how long my pushing stage was at home and how big I was and my blood pressure was high and my baby was big and all of this, like I was walking towards that. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just really think about what it is you want and how what they call the cascade of interventions can happen. It doesn't just happen in the hospital. It happens with the choices that you make very early on in pregnancy. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I really like your approach with the choosing what tests to get done based on that question of, mm -hmm. well, is this going to change my plan? And, you know, I mean, and that's, that's how I am with, my people's, oh, well, have you tested for this? And I'm like, honestly, no, because mm -hmm. I don't want to spend the money and it's not going to change my plan. Um, and so I think that is such a great, because there's so much testing and I feel like a lot of it is just a little fear mongery and like maybe is going to place that seed of doubt in your mind that, you know, oh, well, maybe you can't do this because of this, your baby's going to be too big or they're going to have this complication or they're going to, you know, you have gestational diabetes or like one of these things. Um, and I just, I really like that philosophy of just like, well, if it's going to change the outcome, then yeah, then that test maybe is, is worth it. But otherwise, like you made your plan, you did your research, you consulted the people that you trusted and now you're like, all right, yeah, and there's sticking, nothing wrong with testing being done plan. on a case by case basis. I mean, that's great. Get it done. You think it will benefit you. You think you need that information to make an informed decision. Absolutely. And my problem is with them putting all the women on the same, you know, conveyor belt, you all go through these same tests. Um, because really their job is to 
find something wrong or look for something wrong. Um, and then whenever something is found, the solution is never like, oh, you know, how's your diet? Are you eating enough protein? Like, I mean, sometimes there are, right. you know, more holistically minded obstetricians who do take that approach um, or do at least try with their patients to have that conversation, emphasize the importance of nutrition. But that's why, like, with what I talk about, I can't talk about birth and pregnancy without talking about nutrition. And not to say that no one should, but I really think doulas, midwives, birth workers, everybody has to have this information in their hands to share with their clients. Cause you really can't separate them. If we want women to have positive pregnancy and birth experiences. Um, so right. yeah, there's an, nothing in life is a guarantee and birth is just part of life, but we can certainly set women up for success. We can definitely tilt the odds in our favor by how we treat our bodies. And that's just really not talked about enough. It's, um, every complication in pregnancy is completely inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it. And we're here to save you when something inevitably goes wrong. Yeah. Well, and that's just, you know, the bigger picture with, I think, you know, all of that medical model is, well, we're just kind of sitting here until something goes wrong. And then we have this, you know, intervention or, or thing to, you know, fix it. But there's no real, um, you know, there, there's no getting ahead of it. Like, they're not going to test you and say, oh, hey, you look like you maybe are starting to potentially develop mm -hmm. like some high blood sugar issues. Maybe let's change your diet in this way. Instead, it's like, oh, well, we'll just keep an mm -hmm. eye on it until you have gestational diabetes and then we'll probably give you some kind of medication. Um, on that topic, um, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, you uh, losing my train of thought. <laughs> You had um, you were talking about how you did things a little bit differently from your first pregnancy to your second pregnancy in terms of nutrition and how like just your your ability, you know, your your knowledge of minerals and your, you know, doing these things with nutrition really helped you to have a good experience. Um, especially we were talking about like getting periods after getting pregnant and everything. Um, can you just share a little bit more about some specific things that you did? Like if somebody is listening to this and they just have no idea. They don't consume any of my other content or you know, they've never seen your page. Um, what are some things that you really focused on nutritionally um, that you yeah, felt really so made a difference? It for helped you? with my second. I was planning for <laughs> my babies. It wasn't um, a huge surprise. So <laughs> if you have the luxury of planning for pregnancy and really taking your preconception prep seriously, definitely do it. It can make such a big difference in tilting the odds in your favor as far as a healthy pregnancy and therefore a healthy birth. Um, my first pregnancy probably by most modern standards would have been considered pretty healthy because I wasn't formally diagnosed with anything except maybe like a little bit of hypertension, but I had that really unpleasant pups rash. Um, so my skin itched like crazy. I had, you know, the high blood pressure. I was super fatigued, especially my first trimester. And I would have these, um, fainting spells. I didn't pass out, but I felt like I was going to probably blood sugar and blood pressure related. Um, had a ton of swelling with my first. And then with my second, I didn't really have any of that except for a little morning sickness. Um, I, I didn't have any of it. And I think a lot of that comes down to liver support, 
blood sugar stabilization and getting enough minerals. And unfortunately, salt is very much demonized in, you know, how we talk about pregnancy nutrition when it's so important and not just salt, but um, balancing it with your potassium, making sure you have enough magnesium and all of that. But in that context where you are, you do have those other minerals, salt is so important and um, has been therapeutic for things like preeclampsia. So yeah, definitely need the minerals and enough protein. So before I had my second, I or before I got pregnant the second time, I started treating myself as though I was already pregnant. So I really focused on um, B vitamins. I was doing, you know, the brewer's yeast, bee pollen, beef organs, things like that. And I was very intentional during every meal and snack, having my um, carbs with protein always together, never separate to keep my blood sugar stable. And I was eating enough. I was making sure even though I was chasing a toddler around, I would eat when he ate. I would eat as soon as I got up in the morning. I would have a bedtime snack. I was just really nourishing my body, treating my body very well. Um, So my first pregnancy, I lived on like sushi and cereal. And now I realize, like, I look back at it, <laughs> and my first pregnancy, all I wanted was Japanese food. I'm like, I needed salt so desperately. I mean, that's all I wanted. I wanted to just bathe in soy yeah. sauce. So, and that was just my body screaming for minerals. <laughs> and then um, I was eating a lot of, like, you know, crackers and cereal to try to, like, stabilize my blood sugar, probably, because it just kept dropping, and I was on this roller coaster. Um So yeah, and I continued those same habits throughout my second pregnancy. And I felt awesome. My skin was amazing. It, I didn't have any breakouts. Like my first pregnancy, I got acne on my back for the first time, like my skin was a hot mess. And there's just all these things that there's really no specific advice on how to prevent it, except just to overall support your whole body. Um, So those are some things that I did differently. And I also, like, even though I was very busy chasing a toddler and all of that, I was definitely a lot less um, stressed as far as thinking about my birth because I already knew what I was going to do. I wasn't seeing a provider that stressed me out. Um, I didn't feel, you know, judged or pressured in any way. So um, stress plays a huge role. And we say like, oh, stress is bad for the baby. Don't stress out. But like, the way we treat most pregnant women really stresses them out. (laughs) And so that um, should not be overlooked. That's a really important part too, is just um, being kind to your nervous system and your stress levels. What are some things that you did to help lower your stress levels? And especially as you learned this more in your second pregnancy, is there anything like like, did you listen to any like tapes or like do a meditation? Like, so what, my what first pregnancy, I did do like a hypnobirthing program. And honestly, I am just naturally the type of person who will find a way to make anything stressful. So I was very stressed about like, I have to listen to these for this amount of time <laughs> every day. And like, I just don't know how to do anything to make it calming or I didn't at the time. So um, I still utilized some of those like, meditation tracks during my second pregnancy, but it was intuitive. It was, oh, this is going to help me relax. This is going to help me calm down. It wasn't like, oh, if I don't listen to this on this schedule, then my birth is going to be terrible. Cause like, like that's just how, <laughs> that's just how I operated. But um, yeah, I would allow myself 
time when I woke up and before I went to bed to myself as much as you can with a toddler. And I know how hard this is. <laughs> um, but especially before I went to bed, just completely calming myself down, tuning into my baby, talking to my baby, um, and throughout my pregnancy, writing down any fears that would pop up and addressing them specifically one-on-one. -on -one. Why am I afraid of this? What am I going to do about it? Can I let it go? Or is it just going to stick with me? Um, and yeah, not judging myself for having that fear. That's another big piece because it's okay to have uncertainty and be afraid because every birth is different. But yeah, getting outside was huge. And just to emphasize this again, eating enough because you are going, especially if you're pregnant, you're going to get hangry and your blood sugar is going to be out of control and you cannot have a calm nervous system when your blood sugar is out of control. It's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, if you are chasing your first kid while you're pregnant with your second, um, when they have a snack, you need to have a balanced snack. So, um, yeah, that made all the difference and just surround yourself with supportive people who help you feel excited about your birth, who, um, you know, respect your boundaries. You have to set boundaries, especially if you're going to kind of do things against the grain during your pregnancy <laughs> and birth. You really just have to feel confident in that and surround yourself with people who aren't going to, you know, sow seeds of doubt or make you anxious. That's really good advice. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, okay. I'm just not going to tell anybody <laughs> about this. I'm going to listen to my positive affirmations. Um, I can do this. <laughs> Is there anything specifically that helped you when you did kind of identify those fears? Is there anything that helped you just like either overcome it or learn to just kind of sit with it and be okay with being yeah, I a think little afraid? It is important to address any fear we have, even death head on. And I know that sounds really heavy and like it just came out of nowhere, but this birth is a part of life. So is death. So is things going wrong. And there are no guarantees. So if I would have a fear come up, um, and this was actually really wise advice from somebody else. I didn't come up with this whole, like, write it down, address it head on thing. This came from a close friend um, that I met on Instagram also. But it helped me to find out how my body works during birth to prevent my fear from happening. How can I best support my body to, um, you know, keep myself calm, keep myself in that, um, birth brain, like I said earlier. And mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's what helped me is feeling very confident in God's design for, my body and things do go wrong in birth. And it's important for us to address that. And as much as I love home birth and advocate for it, and I think more women would um, make that choice if they felt like they had access to it. Um, it's important to not paint this unrealistic picture where nothing ever goes wrong. Um, so right. Yeah. Sometimes you do have to sit with a little bit of that fear 
But it is also important to know that the overwhelming majority of transfers to the hospital from a home birth setting are the mom's choice for comfort, exhaustion, whatever that may be. It's actually very rarely an emergent situation. It does happen, but it's usually not. So that was really comforting to me as well. Like, oh, it's not, you know, 5% transfer rate means 5% of women, like something awful is happening and she gets a C-section. That's not the case. Um, so, right. Yeah. And, and that's good to know. Cause I think, you know, most often the birth stories that we mm-hmm. hear are the ones where something went wrong. Um, and so it does seem to happen pretty often. You know, it seems to just be like, okay, well, I don't, you know, what's the percentage is it, you know, maybe you're thinking it's like 10 or 15% have something go wrong. And so in that case, it that idea is just in your head more instead of it being like, okay, most of the time it's totally fine. And then, you know, the other 5% of the time it's the mom's choice. And then maybe 1% of the time it's because something's going, or maybe even half mm-hmm. a percent of the time it's because something went wrong. Um, and then even in that percentage, you know, most likely they were able to make it to the hospital and get you know, whatever help or intervention they needed and it Mm -hmm. ended up being fine. Maybe it wasn't the birth story that they wanted or thought they would have, but everybody was fine. And, you know, so that is definitely reassuring that it's like, yeah, and you can even make a plan for the things (laughs) when it's not so okay. And things are going sideways. You can still make a plan for that just to give yourself a little bit of footing, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Um, here's where I'm going to go. Here's who I'm going to have with me. Um, yeah. I feel like that's smart and that would help make you, I mean, at least for me, like that would make me feel a lot safer and more secure of just imagining, okay, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst thing that could happen? And what are we going to do if that happens, you know, and, and what's that plan? Um, Cause yeah, you know, I feel like we're similar and like I'm a a rule follower (laughs) and like a very type A, like (laughs) checking things off the list. (laughs) So I definitely need to be like, okay, this is what I want to have happen, but here's also the plan B. It does depend on your personality type a lot because some people would rather (laughs) not, they're like, I'm not going to address it. It's not going to happen. So cross that bridge when you get there, if you get there, just not think about it, which is totally fine. I would... I can't approach things like that, but I, that's one thing that, um, the doula I had for my <laughs> second birth said, cause I made a full birth plan for a C-section, like all my preferences, you know, postpartum care, like everything in detail. And she's like, well, she's like, that's not going to happen now because <laughs> you've given that's so awesome. much thought to it. She's like, she's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so. But perfect. There you go. So that'll never happen. But there, you know, you have you have this plan. Mm-hmm. You spent, you know, a day or two or however long making this plan and doing all this research. Yep. And now it will never happen because you spent all that time. <laughs> um, I'm also curious. Okay, so one more question. I know we have to wrap up here soon. Um, are there any, in terms of like resources that you found to be really helpful, are there any like books or programs or blogs, websites, anything um, that you really found to be helpful and a good research for you in in learning. And honestly, also too, like how did you learn and decide 
what you wanted to do? This is really two questions, but how did you decide what you wanted to do if you had a C-section, you know, and, and having a birth plan for being in the hospital, like, and, and deciding what your preferences were? Um, like, how did you go about learning what the options so would be I definitely and, and what had to even a hospital for. birth plan before I had a home birth plan, just because that is what I was initially planning with my first. Um, so <laughs> I'll talk about that first, but I decided that I would um, want to remain as unmedicated as possible. Obviously, if you're in a like transfer type of situation, it might be because you need something they have to offer. So of course, that might not always be realistic, but I still wanted as few people in the room as possible. And if I wanted, if I needed a C-section there in most hospitals are different types of drapes. Sometimes you can actually see your baby being born as opposed to being completely blocked off. So sometimes that's an option. You might need to um, talk to somebody who's more in the know um, as far as your local hospitals go, but there's that. And there is um, vaginal seating, which is, this is not something that usually a doctor is going to offer, but it would be exposing the baby after birth to your vaginal microbiome like they would have gotten in the birth canal or to try to imitate that because that um, is very important for baby's immune system and their gut health just starting off with their entrance to the world like that. Um, so those were my two really important things as far as if I did have to go to the hospital or if I did have to have a C-section. Um, as far as resources, this depends on how you're comfortable doing research and really how much you know going into it. So evidence-based birth is a really popular website that, you know, bases a lot of the research on like Cochrane reviews and um, has a ton of citations, different studies and stuff like that. And I was like so diehard into all their information when I first started researching birth. Because I mean, it is a really good resource and it's very well cited, gives a ton of context, really looks at the studies and all of that. But also just so much of that information I now take with a grain of salt and um, everyone's situation is different. So it is a good resource, I think, for starting out um, resource on just your different options, the different interventions. Um, and then... Also, there's a couple of books by Hensi Goer. It's H-E-N-C-I, last name is G-O-E-R. Um, one is called Obstet Obstetric Myths versus Research Realities. And then I believe there's another one called The Thinking Woman's Guide to Childbirth. It's something like that. But um, she's fantastic. Those books are awesome for birth research. Um, there's different topics in there like breech birth, which is, you know, something that so many women are really stressed out about because in our country now it's like, Oh, automatic C-section, your baby's face in the wrong direction. So she um, provides a lot of um, context and, Oh, is this really improving outcomes? Is treating it this way really, you know, optimal for moms and babies. So I think those are a couple of really good books um, for birth research that won't stress you out and just give you more information. So, uh, yeah, those are probably be the top two that I would recommend. Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to be putting those on my Amazon list immediately. Um, and for everybody listening, I am, I'll put that in the description. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're interested, you can just easily find that. You don't have to try to remember it <laughs> by the time we get to the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, I think, I could honestly, I have so many more questions and I could talk to you for like another hour, but I want to be respectful of your time. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would love to get you on for another episode in the future to just 
I want to talk about like parenting and having a toddler. And um, we before we started recording, we were talking just kind of about like social media and just the, the crazy things that like kids have to go through these days dealing with navigating that world. And that's another very juicy topic that I think could be. Yeah. And all these topics are so related. That's why like, um, I feel like I can't have like today. a niche on Instagram. Because even like in in motherhood, it's so related to like you know body like, image and just nutrition and how you treat your body and relationship with food with yeah. your kids. There's just so many different topics that go into motherhood. It's really all encompassing. Well, I feel like you know the whole niche thing. I feel like maybe is. I, like like a distraction yes. <laughs> or something. like I don't know they're trying to like put us all in these little bubbles and I'm like but we're all human beings and we all have so many different you know interests and skills and all kinds of things and like just motherhood even if you just wanted to say you know oh, okay yes. my account's about motherhood well isn't that kind of about everything because being a mother yeah, is what's great is when you talk about you're like, doing all the jobs topics, you have this really oddly specific group of people who want to follow you who are like really into home birth but also want to learn about like beef liver benefits and so <laughs> it's it's great you find your people that way <laughs> well that's definitely you know what with all of the negative things about social media it is so awesome to find your people. Um, and, you know, like we would never have met if it wasn't for social media. And, you know, there's just so many, like, I don't know, I probably wouldn't even know, you know, like you, that, that home birth wasn't really an option unless I had seen other people do it and have good experiences with it on social media. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely like, yeah. And I think women are really smart. That is a good Um, part of social media that it's exposed women more to these topics, but some people get it in their head. Like, oh, you're deciding to, have a home birth or you're not making this decision for your baby because Instagram told you to. It's like, I think we need to give women a little more credit for, you know, making their own choices and their autonomy. Like, no, I did not have a home birth because someone in a Facebook group had a home birth. That's absolutely not true. Um, So yeah, I think women are smart. Moms are smart and more information is good. Knowing your options is good. And then you can decide what's best for you out of that. That's, that's like the perfect cherry on top of this episode. That's absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that, you know, that's really, we are so powerful. Like we're, women are amazing. Women are so amazing. And we do have this incredible innate intelligence. And I think as long as we are given the autonomy and the respect to really be able to tap into our instincts. You know, we have these amazing maternal instincts, which, you know, back to the research thing, you can research all day long, but I think at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like you have to go with your instincts and and do what you think is going to be best with all of these decisions. Um, and you can, you know, seek advice. You can see people on Instagram. You can be inspired by people on Instagram. You can maybe learn something. You can do your own research. But at the end of the day, I think our instincts and and it's different for every person. You know, your instincts might tell you something different. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might be feel really strongly about having birth in a hospital. Yeah, and that's definitely no, probably I, the best choice I for you. <laughs> whatever choices you make in your birth, they're truly your choices. And that's why I just want more access to these options, to the different types of providers, to this information that can help you have a healthy pregnancy and birth so that if it home birth or a medicated birth is your goal, that that is more accessible to you. 
Um, yeah, because I think you can have an amazing birth with whatever choices you make as long as you are confident and secure in that and um, you're calling the shots. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I That's why I love you. I love your content. I think you just have so many great things to say and you're so encouraging to, to women. And you're, you know, like everything you say is just positive and then you're just like planting seeds, but you're never taking away um, someone else's kind of um, autonomy, which I, I love. And you're never belittling anyone. It's just always <laughs> thank like, you. Hey, thank you. This. Here you go. And I love that. I love that about you. <laughs> um, if people want to come find you. Yes. Yeah. You are, Mom.mindfully it's, on Instagram. Yep. Do you, do you have a period in your handle? I forget. Mom.mindfully. And again, that'll all be in the description. Um, and is there any uh, no, anywhere else that you want being, people to find you or that's just it. on Instagram just for now? Where I like to run my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Annie, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I just appreciate it. And I love talking to you. Um, and it's been so fun to yeah, actually finally. talk face to face or screen to screen. And uh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you or you'll hear us on the next episode.